Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. So here's the deal. About a year ago, we got this idea that both Chuck and I work in treatment. The revolving door is frightening, very different than it was when we were in the revolving door. Both Chuck and I were in the revolving door. Oh, yes. I for nine years, you for how long? Uh, from 85 to 97, 12. That would be 12 years of revolving door for him. But there was very low risk of us dying, though every treatment center we went to told us we were going to die. And we didn't, <laughs> I never thought I was going to die. I, I just met, I saw a bunch of old sober friends last night at a friend's memorial service. And we all were told we were going to die, and we're all alive, and we're all dads, and we all were very low risk compared to 2017, 2018, when it's the leading cause of death of young people in America. No so now kidding. rehab is like the boy who cried wolf. They were telling people that were very low risk that they were going to die. And, and now when we tell them they're going to die, they're like, yeah, you've been saying that for 30 years. And so we started trying to do the, I started doing groups at Aloe where I would just talk about how not to die. Don't mix benzos and opioids. Don't, don't use, don't shoot up as soon as you get out of rehab by yourself. You know, there was just kind of junky, it was kind of junky logic that we had in our generation that this generation didn't have and so we started don't die and, and you guys picked it up really in milwaukee picked it up and ran you with do it. it way better than we do it it was just our idea that. but you guys you guys take care of business up there so where's the guitar you had a guitar earlier well we have to be out in the garage now because we got kicked out because we were too loud we were waking up the kids oh really yeah it's 10 o'clock where you are Sorry about the Bucks going out in the first round. Next year, maybe. Yeah. I hope the Greek freak doesn't leave you guys high and dry up there no. and come to L.A. to the Lakers. Well, that's what happens in Milwaukee. They get like... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, do you remember him? Yeah. Well, is, yeah. Isn't that where the Lakers were from? <laughs> no, Minneapolis. Wouldn't it be fucked up if the Greek freak went to the Lakers? You lost Kareem. You lost... <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, the, the Greek freak Ray Allen? basketball player? He's a basketball player. Oh, yeah, I knew that. He's probably the fifth best player in the NBA at this point. He's unbelievable. Huh. So Chuck, Chuck is a real punk rocker. He knows nothing about sports. He knows nothing about politics. Yeah. He just only goes to punk rock shows <laughs> still to this day. I'm sitting at home like a grumpy old man reading some book, and I see on Chuck's out at the observatory seeing a band. How do you do it? It's fun, man. It's not fun. <laughs> it totally is. Like, I don't know, and I haven't been stabbed recently. A lot of people, people have been getting stabby out there, and I've been avoiding stabby it. at the punk rock. People shows? are getting stabby. stabby. I can't believe it. Are you yeah. kidding me? A friend of mine just got stabbed yesterday at the Rome uh, Sublime, Sublime show. thing. You're kidding? No, down what on the beach. Of in our, what is going on in our society? That's crazy. That's <laughs> <Stress laughs> crazy. <laughs> Well, here's another thing. I don't know if you guys pay I just get these little weird forwards from people that know I'm interested in stuff. So somebody sent me that that uh, that the guy, what is his name? Jackie Chan's daughter is claiming that he's disowned her because she's a lesbian. So she's been streaming on social media <laughs> what a scumbag he is because he doesn't love her because she's a lesbian. But then in the video, you, you suspect that she might have a drug problem. 
Oh no! Is, <laughs> I don't think it's really about lesbianism. Is it? Is she on the bath salts? Oh, oh, more than that, I think. <laughs> so, anyways, but I, I, but you guys really took took this up. You both work in treatment. You feel the same way as we do. Somebody, somebody's got to make an impact with these kids. Like, you just need to not die before the miracle happens. Uh, you know, that's yeah. the whole goal. I do believe most of them are going to get sober. I don't know in how that pathway looks. I think it's a hard road of Suboxone for four or seven years here. But then somewhere out there, like I was 35 when I got sober. Mike was 31. I was 30. 30. Yeah. I don't know. How old were you guys when you got sober? 29. 29? 23. Oh, you motherfucker. Good for you. No, no, (laughs) no. You blew our hole. You got to be a certain age to get sober. No, you know, you, you know no, I'm, I'm glad that, that people don't say that. When people say things like, oh, man, he's only 25, he can't get sober. There are some 25-year-olds that are done. There are some 20-year-olds that are done. And with the rate they're overdosing, they've already lived their nine lives by the time they're getting here at 21. Well, somebody pointed out to me, an old junkie girlfriend of mine said, you know, I started using when I was 13. I got sober when I was 24, Right. You started using when you were 19, got sober when you are 35. It's about the same, yeah. right? right? Because the older generation used at an older age, for sure. What are you doing, Mike? <laughs> We've got are a slow it? loop. Are you watching it on TV? Have you got another computer going? There's ah. one, two, three, four, five, six computers we, we in this room. We can pull my buddy Max into this. He got, he got sober when he was 32. <laughs> we're going to use Max's number because it fits better. Mike's really? proud of Mike's, Mike's proud of himself. It is all working. It's pretty amazing. It's fucking working. It is working. Wow. Yeah. Live but got, Skype. But these guys are these guys are silent. In the poor Pro Tools. So what are you guys noticing there? I noticed I noticed that kids are paying attention, right? Yeah, I think uh, we're losing people left and right, and I think you, you guys talked about it in one of your podcasts, like. For Kevin and myself, what happened is we just got sick and tired of our first our friends dying and then all of our, not all, but a lot of our patients and clients just dying. Um, and something had to change. And um, we kind of came to the notion or idea like, don't die, we'll figure out the rest later. Right? Yes. Right. Uh, and we talked about that age thing earlier. I think, uh, Bob, you've talked about Suboxone kind of being like a timeout. Um, I think any any medication assisted treatment or anything right now where we can just time out these guys right. and these young and for just some growth or maybe some some maturity or anything New insight just until we can you know maybe they're a little more open uh, for direction or suggestion but I mean we're we're losing a generation and it's uh, it's it pissed me off uh, and. I know that I personally have changed some of my mindsets on different ideas and practices, um, but we listened to your first episode and you said, take it, run with it, and we did. Um, and it's, I got to tell you, egotistically, I want to say that we're doing big things here, um, but... <laughs> Just how about I this? Wanna... I'll, I'll put it in proper context. You're doing way more than we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's not hard to do. <laughs> really, what do we do? Hard. We get together on Monday night and go, <laughs> we talk out but, our necks for an hour but, and then go home. Well, one thing you've done is... So, is, wait, hold on, man. I beg to fucking differ here, man, because Bob <laughs> works his ass off in recovery all fucking day long, and he gets home like at 7 o'clock at night. He works from, you know... And, and, yeah, well. So he's being like Aww. very defeatist. Aww. Like standing and up for Chuck, you? Wow. Chuck works in, all day fucking long. And defends the industry, which I don't. <laughs> you know, and then we do this don't die thing, man. They're just more... They're, they're, but it's mostly social media. You guys are savvy at that. Getting the shirts and getting all the community pictures yeah, in that. And that... that What I really think has to happen... So, uh, you know, one of the things I had going for me when I got sober is a lot of other musicians were already sober. Mm-hmm. So you have to establish a community of sobriety. And then that community has to be unconditionally loving it and reaching out towards these young people, no matter how irritating they fucking are. And trust me, they are irritating as fuck. So were we. (laughs) So were we. Not as irritating as these kids. (laughs) You know. Okay, we were better. I'll I'll give you an example. My favorite example of millennial sobriety. So I had this kid who I love now, and he's been sober this whole time, like five years now. But he was like nine months sober. He was only getting sober because he had this really scary court case in South Dakota, right? We go up to court. I'm his court liaison. We go up there the night before. We're staying at a Holiday Inn. It's the Mount Rushmore Holiday Inn. So it's in that town hmm. where Mount Rushmore is right outside of it. So, so it was the craziest thing. All night I kept listening for him to walk out and run away or something, you know what I mean? Because we had court in the morning. You didn't, didn't sleep was, next to the door? Getting, I wasn't going to sleep in a room with a client. <laughs> So I do. So, but then I couldn't sleep at night because I had to listen for the door, and I'd hear people walk into the room. And I think he was escaping. And then finally, we go to court in the morning, right? And you know, I was on television. It, it, it was a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing for this young man, and in, in this case, because they had never seen anybody on television in this town of South Dakota, right? So I'm sitting there mm-hmm. in the courtroom. And the bailiff, I just recognized when we walked in, because I always sit in the front row, I say, pay attention to what's going on in the court. Don't be looking at your phone. Don't, you know, the standard court liaison stuff, right? And we're sitting in the front row, and I hear this stirring. The bailiff comes over and goes, are you who I think you are? And I said, well, if you think it's Dr. Drew, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, oh, and he shook my hand. Good to meet you. Then about five minutes later, he comes back and goes, could, would you mind meeting the judge in, in chambers? And so I go to the court, and the, the, the judge took a f- selfie with me. Nice. And then I came back out, and I told the kid, I think this is going to go really good. <laughs> so, so it did. Don't he, blow this. He, it did. The court, the court was granted him to stay in treatment for 90 more days, and everything that we hoped for, right, didn't take him into custody and, and whatever. Didn't look at the the time when he was released to when he admitted there was a little gap there that shouldn't have been there, right? Mm, Easily nice. brushed over by the fame of Dr. Drew. And Thanks, Drew. <laughs> Getting and so, dope fiends free. So, for hey, so whatever we, edge you can get, right? We're walking out of court at like 9.20, and our flight isn't until like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. So I say to the kid, um, dude, and he's all happy, you know, he's happy as fuck. And I said, dude, let's go to Mount Rushmore and celebrate. And he's like, what's that? And I said, dude, Mount Rushmore everywhere on the streets, at the gas stations, Mount Rushmore holiday. And you know what Mount Rushmore is? And he goes, no, what is it? 
And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> no, you didn't. He did. He didn't know what Mount Rushmore was. So we go to Mount Rushmore. He's kind of pouting on the way out. It's like 45 minutes out of town. And he's like, that's a long ways. I go, dude, what the fuck are we going to do in South Dakota for four hours? We're going to Mount Rushmore. And it was in winter. It was kind of cold. Nobody was there. And we walk up and take it. I wanted my picture taken at Mount Rushmore. And he wouldn't come away from the building because the wind was blowing and it was cold. And so these other tourists took my picture at Mount Rushmore. We're driving back and he's looking out the window. And I go, what are you thinking about, dude? And he goes, why that guy would waste three years of his life to do that. <laughs> 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 that's it in a nutshell <laughs> it really is you know what i mean so that's what we're dealing with and and there is a generational shift in this generation i i speak to lots of different people in lots of different professions and i say what's your take on millennials this morning my landlord who's the leading authority on james joyce in the united states said i don't teach anymore i try to inspire because you can't teach hmm. because they because they know everything you know what I mean? Imagine what it's like to be a high school, a college professor when everyone in your class just knows everything because they have a phone and they can Google search. Oh, and right? they can call you. They can double. They can fact check you in real time. And so this is what oh we're dealing my. with. And this is what the recovery industry refuses to adjust to. This is a different mindset. This is not the mindset of baby boomers or Gen Xers. We have to make treatment be inspiring and make sense to millennials. They're 70 percent of the market. Oh, you know what's great? I just had a guy do this to me the other day. He's, he's in detox, and he goes, hey, um, can I get on the computer real quick? And I said, why? And he said, uh, I want to check how long these detox symptoms are going to last. <laughs> and I go, I do, they'll be done when you're feeling better. Pretty much when you're feeling better, you're pretty much done. He goes, yeah, but I just want to know, is this like day two of five or like day three? of?" But I go, dude, it's going to be the same day. No First of all... And whatever brilliant because but not that's it so you guys bump into that in work at work all the time the the kind of you know and the, people call them entitled i don't think they're entitled they're just different they're just differently entitled than i was say as a you know a big shot but at least i went through life thinking i was a big shot and smarter than everyone but when i met somebody cool i bowed down to them Millennials don't bow down. They don't know how. So, so when I met this guy, Buddy Arnold, uh, and, and this woman, Gloria Scott, they were drug counselors, and they told me, you know, you're full of shit. And I was like, I love these people. I will do whatever <laughs> they say. You know, so we have to figure out new ways to counsel, new ways of treatment, new modalities, new ideas of how to inspire, how to encourage, how to get them believing that that tomorrow can be better than today if they just stay off drugs that's been my hardest thing they don't really see any difference between being on drugs and being off drugs that's frightening right or or the idea wait, wait let me oh, go ahead if life sucks anyways i might as well be high right i mean they don't have i, I don't want to say they but like you said they they don't have they're entitled it's, it's not that they're entitled it's just that they don't bow down to anybody because their entire life they've gotten a, a ribbon for being fourth string. Like they, they're they're equal to everyone else, right? Right, right. So, and when when they, I mean, I'm 38, but I, I I think I'm still in the same generation as you guys. Like, there were dudes that were just cooler and smarter than me when I ran into them. It was like, oh wow, I can take something from you. But nowadays, it's like 
they're at a point where it's like, well, no, when I fill out a job application, I'm going to fill it out for the president of the company, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. I've never worked a day in, in, in my life in that industry. But it's um, up to us to figure out how to get through to them. It's not up to them to change us because they're not going to, and they're nope. dying like flies. So if we really care and we really have love and compassion for our fellow addicts, we need to bring the ideas differently, right? And one of the, one of the successes I've had is they love being a being uh, like not equal to they think it's equal to but they love working in treatment they love being assigned kind of thing so all the successes i've had most of them have ended up working with me or working for friends or working managing a sober living and that then then they start to see how their generation behaves because they're in a position of responsibility and, and they can see themselves. I've done it. I have this sober living in Hollywood called Bob's House. And I've had like 12 house managers in the last four years. <laughs> and they all end up turning on their generation <laughs> and becoming like us. Yeah, they get grumpy and old really <laughs> yeah, fast. Yeah, they're like, what the fuck? You can't even dump the trash. I go, dude, you were the guy that didn't dump the trash six months ago. Mm -hmm. Right? Can't, let's try to figure this out. Like what, you know. We, we, do that, we do that in our place too. We do it where there's... Um, not house managers, but, but peer leaders. And some people are peer leaders because they're, they're kind of leading the charge. And some of them are, are peer leaders so we can get them to pay attention to things. And, you know, hey, get, her, get there early, set up chairs, take down the chairs, take out the trash, make sure everybody's eating, make sure no one's asleep, make sure there's people, people are where they're supposed to go. It really helps to give them, you know, that's that, that's that accountability, that responsibility. Everybody likes it. Everybody likes to be important. Or at least counted on. Yeah. What is what is soberhead? Soberhead. What is that on your shirt? Uh, soberhead. It's uh, a friend of ours. She started this uh, years ago uh, called Fuck Heroin. Right. I and, saw that. Yeah. So uh, you you're closer with her than I am. What what's her it deal? Was, it was uh, kind of they were just putting out shirts. Uh, she's connected to the music world and got permission from Lemmy to take the war pig oh, uh, cool. and made it uh, Soberhead instead of Motorhead. So no cool. way. How cool. How cool of him, too. And then you've got the Be Here Now from Sun Life Organics Health Food Store, right? That hat? I do. I How, do. Where'd, you, where'd you get it from? Uh, from the store in Malibu? Yep. My buddy Matt uh, Felker uh, knows him pretty well, and, and he's in that store all the time. And I was reading his book, and I was like, yo, give me a signed copy of the book so matt sent me out a, a, a signed copy of his book and the lid and a hoodie but i'm a wisconsin large uh so <laughs> malibu large yeah uh, it's a different kind of large uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I get it dude i got an extra large shirt the other day that was so small it looked like it belonged to my little sister well you know you gotta just find the right shirts i got my minor threat shirt i got it on the internet so this is a large. It's kind of, kind of small. <laughs> but, but, Whatever. But let me tell you the story of that hat. So Khalil was a client of mine, and and he he loved the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? So I used that, and I use whatever by any means necessary to you know encourage get get the client going in the right direction. So um, he was about. 
two months in and he was getting discouraged and he's older than everyone else in the treatment center and he's fucking bummed and he just wants to leave and all this kind of stuff. I said, Khalil, if you get a year sober, I'll get you backstage passes to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I swear to God, he completely psychically changed. And that became his main goal in life, right? It's like, I'm going to get a year and then I'm going to the Chili Peppers backstage and it all worked out and he did and whatever. But then he started a sober living. That's how I ended up in Malibu because he had a sober living. I love Khalil. He's, he's one of my favorite guys in the world. And he What's started the that sober living. It's called Riviera Recovery. And that's where mm-hmm. I coined the phrase the Rehab Riviera. That's because he called it Riviera Recovery. And when I got to Malibu and saw that fucking shit that goes on out there, I was just like, this is Rehab <laughs> Riviera. This is bullshit. You just come out here, use, tell staff to fuck off, do whatever you right. want. As long as my you pay. Ryan, yeah, my, fi- my friend Ryan uh, Gartrell yes. sent me to, to Riviera. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, yeah, one thing led to another. And then I went to the smoothie shop and, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool. cool. I love his, so, I love his uh, sober living. So this is what I think, you know, people need to do more of. So Khalil was disillusioned by sober living, right? He thought it was going to be this magical transformative <laughs> experience of helping thousands of people get sober and not many got sober, right? So he was, he was having this problem of them, you know, getting jobs and getting on to the next thing. So really the health food store started as a place for these millennials to go work at while they lived in Riviera Recovery. And then it started to take off the health food store, mostly because of the smoothies. They're, they're pretty amazing. And, they are, yeah. And, but the Be Here Now, he was asking for a logo. Be Here Now, if you recall, I was a huge Oasis fan. And after they made uh, 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 whatever, the big What's Up Morning Glory what's album. Story? What's the story? After they made that, that next album that wasn't very good, the logo, the ads were Be Here Now. That's the Oasis the Oasis, who Oasis, wait, Oasis ripped it off from John Lennon anyways, and then Khalil ripped it off from, from Oasis. Oasis. Am, so I'm wearing a, an Oasis hat? <laughs> no, it's a John Lennon hat if you hate Oasis. <laughs> it's, Thank God. It's not okay to hate Oasis either. It's okay to, it's okay to like Oasis. <laughs> no, but, but isn't that funny? So, so what happened was this health food store was an offshoot of good ideas about how to help millennials and then khalil's become a millionaire because of the trying to do the right thing you know what i mean right. and that's the where these dollar smoothies help. yeah that wow uh, yeah there's the hundred dollar sweatshirts you should put that on ebay and get your money back <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm gonna, stop, I'm gonna sell the book and the hat and the, no the sweatshirt went to my wife she's an extra small oh perfect perfect there you it's go a Malibu so did you read the book Half of it. I haven't gotten through the whole thing. Okay, so let me tell you the best part. So he's wanting to leave. Spoiler alert. He's wanting to leave. uh, He doesn't want to leave treatment, right? So MAP was paying for him, Music Cares nowadays. But we were paying for him to be there, and he really wasn't. He didn't even really qualify to be in the program. So after three months, I said, Khalil, you got to go. You got to go to Sober Living. You're going to Sober Living. He's like, if I leave this building, I will leave. You know, like the clients that never want to leave treatment? And you got to like, he goes, and he goes, he had talked to the owner, Mike Bloom, to ask if he could sleep in the broom closet and work as a part-time janitor just so he could stay at the rehab. 
And I was like, dude, I, you're not living in a bloom, broom closet because you can't leave this building. You're going to Sober Living out in Valley, out in Northridge at Thelma's place, and that's it. And, and he was like, oh, so scared. And so, and you could feel his addiction starting to rise up. He had already made such a big deal out of having to leave after 100 days or whatever that he was setting himself up to relapse. So when I drove him to Sober Living, I said, you know, I don't, we're going to get there, you know, but I got to stop by a friend's, and I, you know, so it's going to take just 10 minutes. And so he's like, he's, you know, you can feel that he wants to use. He's going to get to the Sober Living, fucking blast out of there, go use. Um, and so I took him to uh, the Mount Sinai uh, Cemetery in, uh, in, uh, in, in Burbank, and he's like, what's going on? I go, we're just going to visit a friend of mine. And I took him up to Hillel Slovak's grave, the original guitar player of the Chili Peppers. And I said, I said, dude, see this guy? He was one of my best friends. See this guy? He had everything you want. He had fame. He had money. There's an actual original 60s Les Paul buried in his coffin with him. He has everything that you think you want. And look where he is. You got to be sober. That's what fucking matters. All the rest will work its way out. All the rest will figure its way out. And I, I truly believe, and he says in the book that had a profound effect on him, because you, you just forget, all I need is a Les Paul. All I need is to be in a band that's successful. All I need, all I need, all I need. It's not, we don't need nothing. We need to be sober and see what tomorrow brings. You know. And you have to have the ability to intellectually comprehend that. And I don't think some of our clients do. You know what I mean? Well, that, that's a huge that's a huge component of what we've got going on. Um, Khalil was like thirty five when he got sober. The idea of uh, I see it all the time. I'll be happy when um, <clears throat> when I finish school. Both I'll of be... you musicians were like, if I had a sixty one <laughs> Les Paul, I'd be happy. I saw both of you think. Well, that. I, you know, my thought was that that's just mean to the guitar. It's not dead. <laughs> It doesn't, you don't bury something that's not dead. The guitar wasn't dead. But you know what? If that was his wish or if people think that made him happy, that's, fan, that's fantastic. But the, no, the, um, Did you think it was a waste to put the guitar in the coffin? Because I saw his reaction. No? You think it's cool? Wait, what, what did you just say? Did you, did you think it was a waste of the guitar to put it in the coffin? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that too. It was the most dramatic thing you ever saw. I mean, you, you could show, like, the lid open and with it, and then right before you, you put it in the ground, then you take it out. I don't know. It was, it was really heavy. It was a heavy You take day. a selfie. Did you go to Hillel's the... funeral? No. Where the fuck were you? Yeah, Mike. No where idea. were you, Mike Mark? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you, guys so gotta get, you guys got to get how funny Mike is. He's the funniest <laughs> guy. Dude, it was 1987. So where were you in 1987? I have no idea. I mean, I was, you know, I don't know. I was, I was in Hollywood. Everyone we know was there. That's when I first met you. All I know is I wasn't working. Do you not? Wait a minute now. Wait a minute, you guys. I just think I spotted something. Hey, you guys are the therapists. Let me, let me ask you a question. So yesterday was the memorial service for one of our best and dearest friends who died of mouth cancer because he never stopped smoking. And Mike Matt was going to go. And then he doesn't show up. Well, was, I had to work. I had to. The thing was at six o'clock. I, I was at the mm. Avalon. At six o'clock. Yeah, running right. front of house sound. He's, he's always got 
Egypt, man. Hey, formerly the palace, okay? It's a great place. Are you going to go awesome to my venue. funeral, Mike? Are you going to go to mine? Will you I'll promise to go to work. mine? Yeah, I'll give up work for that. <laughs> I think you're going to outlive me, so I, think, I won't be at yours, but will you come to mine? I think Mike doesn't like... Mike doesn't like funerals. You don't like it. I don't like funerals at all. I knew this. I do not. Yeah, you're probably. And this is going back to '87. Probably. Did right. you go to to Jeffrey's memorial? I did. That was sad. Yeah. yeah so we it was three hours of bell ringing. Yeah, but but what? yeah, he's a Buddhist. Buddhist. Mom's a Buddhist. He wasn't really a Buddhist. But uh, but yesterday we purposely, me and Seidel just said, it's not going to be a glum thing. This is a celebration of Matt. This is not like, you know, be sad. And people started going there because you walk up and talk. And we would go up and then counter it. Like, okay, let's get back on track here. You know what I mean? Okay. Because everybody processes the thing differently. Have you got, you must have had some memorials there recently that were tough for you guys in Milwaukee, right? Yeah. Some old Absolutely. junkie, some old junkie dudes that went back so, to using. Right. So what do you, I mean, I want to know what you guys do when you got a somebody fresh or even in treatment, and one of their buddies dies. Do you tell them to go to the funeral? No, I think that's a little rough. Unless it's a real intimate, like you yeah. know, I've had that before. Where it's, they always say it's their best friend. It's not their fucking best friend. No. If you found out about it three days later, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But but. There's something about all of this that we're not all processing right. And I process Matt's, you know, death like in January. He died. And we purposely said, like, like let's give it time till we have a memorial, right? Waited three months. Because you don't want all that fresh wounds and whatever. And it was the most beautiful thing last night. It was really, that it was is, really That's, really, it was that's really a cool. great idea. I mean, the, some, of the, some of the kids we've lost, not kids, I mean, they're guys in their 20s but some of them that we've lost it seems like the next week they want to have a memorial down on the beach and uh i'm not ready i'm I'm not ready to be there i like to be there for the parents but you know the parents oh my god you asked you asked um you know what do you what do you tell clients um clients and young people I, i mean when my when my brother uh died i was a year and a half sober and i'm if i didn't have solid people in my back pocket i would have been loaded for sure even my head, my head told me this is the perfect excuse. No one can ever blame you for getting loaded. Your brother, you love your brother. He's three years younger than you. He never got high until you got him high. He's dead as a direct result of what you've done. That was the perfect excuse for me to get. So and you didn't. And I didn't. But it's because I had solid people around me. They walked me through the whole. Uh, funeral thing they told me we're going to go to your folks house we're going to get cold cuts you're going to make sure your mom and dad eat you're going to answer the phone you're going to do you know i had solid people around me but i was doing the 12 step thing you know so i i had that these people that are still in treatment don't have that they don't have any support what they have is probably people that are still loaded showing up at the memorials but i believe they're trying to use that to as an excuse justify using i'm saying that it came in my head and it was the last thing i was just like it was the perfect excuse and and most normal people think well this is going to make you not want to use and i'm like no it's Uh, the exact opposite makes you want to use and and parents especially don't understand that they're just like, well, his, you know, his girlfriend died. I'm like, that makes it 10 times more likely that he's going to use and yes. die. It's not like he's going to go, oh, I'm going to live on for her. You know, I had that like a year ago with a client where his girlfriend died when he was in treatment with me. 
And I was just like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. I don't, you're staying here. You're not leaving. You try to leave, I'm going to hold you against your will. I just told him that. And he <laughs> believed it. <laughs> did you take him to Joshua Tree and lock him up in the Joshua I've Tree house? That, I told you I did that with this one kid, and he stole my car and <laughs> left. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was the craziest thing. I was like, I was just, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, if I needed I someone to stay cars, put, I'd call I had, Warren. <laughs> I had two cars. I had that old Oldsmobile out there, right? And the radiator was bad. So I leave to go to the grocery store to get groceries. I come back, that car is gone. It was so <laughs> fucked up. He didn't get far. No water. <laughs> he tried. But so, so. You know, this, this, you're doing the needle exchange thing coming up pretty soon, right? And so, so here's the thing about it. The needle exchange actually led to saving my life, right? Which was, I, we always went to the needle exchange, my girlfriend and I. She was really sick from hepatitis C. The girl that worked at the needle exchange convinced her to go to treatment, right? And, and then I was out on my own. I only lasted four days four days without my girlfriend <laughs> and I'm in jail. You know what I mean? So if this gal at the needle exchange hadn't taken this special interest, if the needle exchange didn't exist, I don't know when it is that I get sober. We all need to keep causing and affecting people's lives, right? And so, you know, I always think, and, and the, the tragedy was, the needle exchange was like this illegal thing here in LA. I don't know if it's illegal there. You're right. Right. Kind of. It's, yeah. And it was in this Jeep and this girl ran it for years. Right. They finally got when I, I forget who was mayor, but they allowed them to have an office on on Coanga and you could go in there. And 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 the, then the girl who saved our lives ended up, you know, and she was sober for like seven years, eight years. She got married and on their honeymoon was in Africa and a Jeep rolled over and she died sober the girl who saved our life and i just always like oh my fucking god and you have to start adding all this shit up like that woman saved our lives and and or took action to give us the opportunity to get sober right and that's what all the needle exchange the 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 grassroots rehabs the sober livings that's what everyone in those communities used to do it was all focused on helping the peer person to achieve sobriety and now it's become so profit motivated that 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 simpleness of just try to do what you can to help the person that's right in front of you is getting lost, right? Do you feel like Meet that? Meet them where they're at. Meet yeah. them where they're at. You know, that's vital. That's so vital. I think that's what we were kind of getting there um, earlier while we were checking out how things work. You know, the whole idea of you know sitting, cross, talking level, me straight to you, one on one. No, no higher ground to lower ground, no better than, no holier than, and no, no guilt, because that doesn't work. But I do like the idea of grabbing all their needles and holding a bunch of clean ones and making them listen to me until I can give them back. You go, here, you want these? I'll listen for a second. <laughs> I, went, I went to go see this guy years ago. I'll never forget it. So Andrew, the bass player in my band, wanted to go help this friend of his. And so we go up this dirt road in Laurel Canyon. And as I was going up, I had just got this brand new Volvo. Right. And as we're going up, you know how the old Volvo wagons had those Volvo rubber uh, tire things behind the rear tires looked really cool. 
Oh, the mud flaps? Mud flaps, yeah. yeah. So I'm going up this hill and it rips the fucking thing off the brand new car, right? Oh. And I'm like, holy fuck. So I'm pissed when we go into the guy's house. He's shooting up. He's out of his mind on coke and whatever. So we gather everything up and he finishes off what he's got. And then, and then the promise, you know, we couldn't get him into treatment. It was like 12 o'clock at night. So first thing in the morning, I'm going to be over here like 10, you know, in L.A. it's 10 a.m. I don't know what first thing in the morning your time is. But, so I said, we're going to be over here at 10. We're going to take you to PRC or whatever, right? And he's like, okay, I really appreciate it and whatever. And, and so we take this baggie of all these dope spoons and syringes and whatever. And we're driving back down. I'm still pissed about the rubber thing. And we get down to sunset. And I looked at Andrew and I go, there's no fresh bag of syringes. You know what I mean? Like when you tear open the bag and you've used two and there's like three left or whatever or there was no new syringes. I was like, motherfucker. And Andrew was only like a year sober and I did a U-turn and went jamming up there and went running in. I burst in and he shoots speedballs again with the needle. He just used us as the needle exchange. And I was like, dude, busted. And he's like, how did you know? And I was like, there was no new needles that he gave us. They were all used. What a dick. He was a good guy. <laughs> he lives in Iceland now or something. Wow. With Bjork? Wow. That's huh? a place to be. Yeah, I think some people move away to get away from drugs. You know, Wait, Iceland is the one that's green, and Greenland is the one that's covered in ice, right? I just know Bjork is from Iceland. Okay, she talks cool. Sigaros is from... How do you say it? Sigaros? Sigaros? Oh, no, yeah, I know. You ever heard of that band? Oh, you got to check them out. They're so good. No, no, no. I That's thought they were Celtic Frost. I, th I thought they were a, a Cookie Monster band. So I think that forming bands, well, having a, a club to go Antwerp. to. Diane towards from South, South America. Africa. Oh, South I Africa. Know, I yeah. But, but, uh, no, man. But that... having bands and having energy and going to clubs and being sober, that's, what, that's the only thing that I would be a part of. I wasn't going to live in AA meetings 24 hours a day and to do book studies with old dudes at their houses, which I always think is really freaky. But uh, I like the special one-on-one -on -one book studies they have in their bathrooms. <laughs> you, you never did that? <laughs> no. It's how you state the secret handshake? Forget it. What? <laughs> I'll, t I'll tell you, I'm an atheist, which a lot of people aren't in the AA. Is that the soapy I, handshake? Uh, yeah, so the, the only time I I prayed on my knees was one time. I've said I'll always be of service to anything anybody asks of me, right? So I'm at this meeting, and this guy had asked, this guy that I had, I love and, and he had struggled getting sober, asked this really kind of over-the-top friend of ours to sponsor him, who's big, big prayer and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Not that that's bad, but it's not for everybody. So You're saying so, you only got on your knees one time in your life? Well, I've gone on my knees, but that's only in, this, in the context. Whoa. Yes, in this oh, context. I want to get into this. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting so, weird, well, no, Mike. We're Mark. hearing this story about the first, wow, stick, Mike, first and only time that Bob it's has to stick on his knees. to your right. principles. So I said I'd be of service to any, especially any suffering addict or any newcomer or whatever. So mm -hmm. the, we're in the meeting, and the guy, the sponsor, tells the guy that after the meeting, we're going to go in this at a home meeting. We're going to go in the bedroom and do the third step prayer, right? With just the, in the guy's bedroom, well, I mean, right? And so, oh so the guy God. says to me, like, dude, I'm supposed to go in the bedroom with him afterwards and do the third step prayer if you're really uncomfortable. Knees. And he said, I'd feel so much better if you would come with me. 
Exactly. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. I sat through the whole meeting thinking, I'm not going in that bedroom. Are you kidding me? And oh. I did, and we joined hands, Whoa. and we got down on the knees and said the third set prayer, and the guy used the next day. <laughs> That's the best part stress. of it. It was the stress. <laughs> it was the stress of it. But I prayed on my knees, and I've been sober ever since, so God knows what it that it means. It worked for me. It failed for him. Well, what can I say? Isn't that what the whole thing is, too? I mean, we're, we're doing this really for us at the end of the day, right? Yeah, and I always think, like, I did pray on my knees and turn my will and my life over to the care of God as exactly described in the big book of AA. Well, yeah, right? when you're, like, new and stuff, man, you're pretty much ready to, you know, you're so hopeless, you're ready to just do it. No, I was, like, know. two years sober. Well, you know, you're still new, too. Is it weird that Mike's a disembodied two? voice? A little bit. Are you, when, I was yeah, new at five. You're new at five. I okay. was new at five still. Yeah. Well, no, you, you have sober Here's the thing. There's two different things. I, I always see it as two different things. There's sobriety, which once you catch on to it and really understand, I don't use no matter what. That's a pretty lock. You can lock that down after two years, around two-year point. But being well and not cheating on your spouse and being a fuck-off and gambling and being an asshole, that's a whole nother category. Oh, yeah. That's years. <laughs> that's years. That's a lot. What, what, there's a lot of trial. Counting? There's a lot of trial and error in that stuff. Like, Let's don't right? lie. You can take a while to get that one. <laughs> yeah, you can really, and you can backslide. Is there? Remember in Christianity? Well, you just you, don't you just don't use no matter what. People that's don't know that Mike important. in high school was born again Christian. Did you know that, Chuck? Well, so were, didn't you? you so I was, I was too. Yeah. There were so many, there was so many uh -huh. hot girls in Huntington Beach that were born again Christians. It just, it, it had to happen. Yeah, well, there was a thing called Calvary Chapel, and you went yeah. to Calvary yeah. Chapel I went because to everybody oh, else. Yeah. And then plus, I was taking so much acid, I don't even really <laughs> like know. You know, I might have been turning my will over to life, life over to God. It just felt weird. Oh, did you know? Did you know the popsicles that band the popsicles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Tony DiStefano, the guitar player of the popsicles, he. He Took witnessed to, to me, right. no, he witnessed to me at his parents' house and I became born. I really did feel like I see it, I understand. But there was also, he was like the guitar player in a cool pop rock band. And there was a lot of girls that liked the popsicles. Is he related I think, to... I think, I think the devil was also inspiring me towards this spiritual connection, right? Meaning the, the gals, hmm. right? Wait, you believe in the devil, but you don't believe in God? <laughs> There you go. You know what? Patrick, we you got we me really, again. We you really got me again. Don't wanna, you know, we don't want to go there. Patrick, you kind of... Because my, my belief systems make no fucking sense no, whatsoever. But somehow I represent Orange County Christianity. Yes, and I don't want to play it tonight. No, because, now Mike did. Mike did. Okay, Mike, you're Orange County Christianity tonight. But I like that he Praise took acid God. the Get whole him. time. Praise Get him. God, then. Fuck but so, so is that a real problem in Milwaukee, the faith thing? Or is people really cool with faith and they don't mind that? It's not a, it's not a hard hurdle for your clients to clear. Because out here it is hard. Well, that's a good I question. Think I think it's hard. It's I think it's definitely hard for a lot of them. You know, there's like maybe what one or two out of ten that would go, yeah, I'm going back to my church. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. always think that's a great thing. Yeah, no, they're... And they're not going to do anything. That's a that's a huge hurdle. But there's this there's this thing that they're starting to do over by our place, 
refuge recovery that's based Buddhism, on yeah. Buddhism and stuff. And the kids are, are willing to do anything Eastern religion because it's not what their folks do, is what it seems to me. They'll, they'll, do, they'll follow philosophies and they'll do prayer and meditation as long as it's not the same thing their folks do. I, uh, so we have a really strong refuge chapter here oh, uh, really? in Milwaukee. And uh, I recommend, you know. I recommend you not believe the hype about okay. Noah. I love yeah, Noah. I, I love I Noah. It's, you know, I don't, I want to, I want to see this play out. This whole crazy accusation and then your yeah, life is over. It just sounds BS. I don't believe any of it. But well, I'm, anyway. not, I'm not willing to say that. I'm, I, I think that what used to be acceptable is now looked at in a prism that it's not acceptable. And that's not, uh, we, that's not, it's, we don't do that in any other context, right? Meaning, it just, I love Noah, that's all I can say. But I, I know yeah. it's probably shook you guys there, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little it bit. Did. But, I'm but not Noah is it. Noah. I've known him for 25 years. He's just, he's Noah. Like, yeah. you know, whatever. And right. the, I think everybody, you know, jumped to this crazy thing, right? That, that was, you know, I, I just don't know what I think about that. I mean, to be honest, it doesn't surprise me, I, I but don't I don't know, know that rumors it's worth are, but being crucified over, right? Well, you don't, you don't know. No. Okay, then you brought up refuge. You should do a little investigation. <laughs> no, I just know like the clients go to a meeting and they enjoy the meeting, and I'm happy to have them go anywhere. But, but I, you, you, I share a little so. bit what you guys have gone through with that. With refuge? Yeah. Was were so. people upset when they heard about what's going on or not? At Refuge Recovery, I mean, there's a there's a small core group of guys that are like, eh, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, Not that's really how I, that, put me in that category. Right. So um, yeah, that's okay. The, the other the other majority don't know anything about it. Oh, okay. They just they come to the meetings because the fellowship is there and they're doing the deal. So, yeah, I've, yeah. That's, I've always felt like the, the one of the mistakes Bill Wilson made with AA was to be so closely associated as the leader of it. Right. And I think no one makes that mistake. I think that Dietrich and Synanon made that mistake. Uh, that, that's why I think the best organizations just get off the ground with a bunch of people and then take on a life of their own. They don't you don't need a guru. I, I grew up in a world where like kill the Buddha. Fuck the gurus. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of an anti-social punk rock attitude. I learned from Johnny Rotten, really. Like, fuck everything. <laughs> you know well, that's what I mean? very Dada. And it's so, so Dada. And so you don't follow any, you don't beatify anybody, meaning deify them, like Bill Wilson is in AA. I mean, anybody that does simple reading about Bill Wilson would not follow him anywhere except to a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, but, but the thing he created is magical. And, and when you identify it so much with an individual leader, because Americans love to idolize people and then tear them down. Oh, yeah. I think that's what's going on with a lot of people is to build them up as heroes and gurus. Oh, somebody said something. Somebody said something and tear them down before investigating and, you know, contempt prior to oh, investigation. Yeah. An accusation is, is the end of it. You don't, you don't need any proof. All you need is an accusation. Yeah. And, and even before that, though, the idea that, that 
you know, Dr. Bob kind of stayed on the sidelines. It was Bill Wilson doing all the talking and all the media stuff and, and with the grapevine and all that. He didn't have to do that. And he would have, he, he kind of would have dissolved away like Ebby and Dr. Bob instead of the mantra, Are you a friend of Bill's? Like I always say, I don't know, I'm a friend of a bunch of people's. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but I think that what you're saying excites me that most of the people in Refuge Milwaukee don't even know who he is and don't even give a fuck. They just like Refuge, right? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Totally. That's, that's yeah. the way to go, really. I mean, I, I, this is a perfect example. At Refuge, Recover, at Refuge Recovery, somebody asked, what is Dharma Punks? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and he, he actually had the Dharma Punks shirt on. <laughs> this, gets, like, this gets back to my earlier point about millennials <laughs> why would you go why would that dude spend three years of his life years. making mount rushmore well you know that, that sounds like well, how will we know when it's boiling <laughs> <laughs> so so you know and i don't know that we can educate them and wise them up but but you know they also wise me up about certain things which is interesting if you're open to learning the way millennials think right so most of them um have a very like you can it, when it comes to politics for instance you can just give them a few facts and they'll they'll adjust and they're very flexible about their politics they're not as embedded as baby boomers are you, you know what I mean? You can present facts to liberals like I do all the time because that's my brother and that's where I live. Like MSNBC is exactly like Fox News. You try to tell liberals that they want to kill you and they won't agree. <laughs> but, you know, enlightened ones will go, yeah, I know, but I like it so much to just hear bad shit about Trump all day long. You know what I mean? There's a war in Syria there's there's a huge economic disparity in the United States. We we have you know children being poisoned and dying of cancer in West Virginia. I want the news to report that, not that Trump took a shit and then he said hello and then he twittered something. I don't give a fuck what he does. I don't care what he does. The news is supposed to tell me what's going on with these West Virginia poisoned waters. Do you do you know about this West Virginia poisoned waters? No, is that fairly new? The highest death rate of, can of, can of kids from cancer in Jesus. the United States. It's crazy. But, but, you know, and I'm interested in all kinds of stuff, and I talk to millennials, and they actually, if given real information from somebody they trust, they'll go, oh, shit, I don't know what I was thinking. It's very weird that they're not as entrenched in their ideology as other generations, right? Do you, do you guys find that? Unless it's 9-11. Right. What? They're malleable. Right? Yes. So they're yeah, they very much are, except for to be sober. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was going to say, they're, they're, they won't take suggestion on how, how not to bang dope, but they'll take suggestion on anything else and be like, oh, well, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. cool. They right? love. I, mean, that's, I think that's what you're saying. Like, yeah. They're not, they're not going to be, they're not set in their ways with, you know, the Republican agenda, like they'll bounce back and forth on different ideas and different topics. Yeah. And I think that's a good sign. Uh -huh. yeah. They're not tied to dogmatic thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. But another thing that's interesting is, so I help a lot of them with the, with the resumes, you know, cause we, at Allo, we say we like have a resume thing. You're supposed to go online and do it and whatever. So I'll just show, you know, I showed Ryan, I showed a bunch of kids like how to, 
be a junkie and make a resume, <laughs> which is right. you exaggerate, per, maybe you just talk about years from from 2014 to 2016. I was employed at this when actually you were employed for like three months, October, November, December, January. You know what I mean? And I say, well, that's you're not lying because that's 2014, 2015. And and just showing them how to find really good because I, I you know, we hire a lot of people at Allo and I say, really what I'm looking for is is an interview with you and I wanna know, I want the contact people have to really know you. Cause I'll call I usually call the second contact person because I know the first one is the stacked one. It's the dad. It's the, you know what I mean? But I call the second one and I really ask questions about it, about the kid. I say, you know, how, you know, what, what was he like in high school or whatever? And I get to, you know, get a take on what the kid's like. That's all I care about. I, I know that they probably haven't had the most job experience in the world. They're applying for a tech job in a rehab. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not, right. you know what I mean? It's designed, it's an entry-level position. Is it's it called designed, an entry-level position? It, it, for me, it is, at, at least with this stuff. Most people, if they, they get interested, they go to school or they open up their own place. Usually, they just want to show up and learn how to run their own place. But we are seeing a decline in, like, the numbers. It is happening. Of people that want jobs? Uh, no, of, of, of places to work. Their places oh, right. are closing. Are places closing up where you are? Or is it pretty steady? you got a lot more grassroots and more uh, kind of solid funding for your places, right? In, in, in Wisconsin in general and Milwaukee in particular? Yeah, I mean, it is kind of uh, grassrootsy mom and pop shops. Yeah. Uh, but the big problem that we're having in the state of Wisconsin is the licensure um how difficult it is to to get it and not that many people want to go into the field really we have a we yeah, yeah we're having a huge crisis with that so if you got any, i mean i don't know what the if the licensors transfer but if there's anybody in california that is this, uh, like a what do you guys call them out there like we call, or? well it's it's it changed we used to have a department of drug and alcohol programs and they dissolved yeah. it and it went into the social services what is it called a asp or something i it, you know and that and right. when that happened licenses were easier to get in the beginning and now they're really hard and conditional use permits are forbidden so you can't have more than six beds in California. It's crazy. You right, know, huh? That's, even, what, that's even, what Tim had that was, that was it, gold. Tim's got the gold, which even in, it used to always be if you were in unincorporated California, like unincorporated L.A. County, you could get a, a 20 bed if you could house and toilet and, you know, show fire clearance for 20 people to live there. You could get that. Now you can't. All things are limited to six six beds. And so... So really, nobody's looking to get new licenses in California because there's so many existing places that can't really compete um, as things kind of contract and, and, you know, American Addiction Centers does its magic on the Internet and, and stuff like that. But, but I've always felt like, I, you know, when I had, when I had a rehab, I could, with, I could withstand any storm. It didn't matter to me what fucking happened. I know how to connect with clients. I know how to change systems so that it's more affordable. You know what I mean? A lot of these big rehabs that started in Orange County in particular, they, they don't even know what rehab is. 
You know what I mean? You don't need to pay a marriage and family therapist $35 an hour. Right. Fuck you. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. were just there as a luxury to serve insurance. If insurance is going to pay, get rid of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> is, is that in sign? Yeah. Sign a note. Sign my note. You know what's, note. Yeah, you know what's so funny out here? There's companies now that the ladies, that, you know, it's predominantly nurses that will do it. They sit at home and they'll sign through Kipu all the notes and it's on their license and they don't even go to the facilities. How crazy yeah. is that? How corrupted is the system? You know what I mean? I know how to document. I was relieved when counselors didn't have to document. I used to fucking hate documenting. Uh. You know what I mean? Now I've got a, a MFT student sitting in on my groups and she documents the whole thing. <laughs> that's because you're smart. You're smart. You, that's the way you, it's all in how you do it up front. I got to do all the documenting for my stuff. And it's, I think it's probably two and a half, three hours a day. You still do it? Oh, yeah. Does somebody have to sign off on it? Um, no, no. No. People have to sign off. You're doing the sign-off signature, right? So the MFTs have to sign off yeah. on your documentation? But it, it is overseen, and the whole thing is on someone else's license, but we're underneath. That's signing off. Yeah. No, but she doesn't have right. to she doesn't No, have but to sign all I off. did was, you're getting paid 20 bucks an hour as a student. Document the group for me. Like, it's not that hard. They should learn how to document, don't you think, if they're students? I mean, I'm just giving you some tips that I've learned along the way. <laughs> Well, and they're doing their intern hours, so you don't have to pay them a lot. No, right? we pay them, though. I, I don't think anybody should work for free. I think that's the most fucked up thing. Oh, no, I mean, you don't have to yeah. pay them. You know, in a for-profit company, that somebody should work right. there for free is the most fucked up thing about this industry, <laughs> right? And, and I got yeah. that from Buddy Arnold. When I, I said, I'm a volunteer, he goes, nobody volunteers here. I pay everybody. So I give you 10 bucks an hour. And I was like, I didn't even need the 10 bucks an hour, but he insisted on it. But somehow in Buddy Arnold's world, this guy, you got to look him up. He was the greatest counselor who ever lived. And in his world, if he paid, you pay, yeah, yeah, that guy, he, if you, if he paid you $10 an hour, it really meant he could abuse you and tell you, <laughs> like he would say things to me that I knew were just not only illegal, but immoral and unethical in every other way. So I was in charge of sober living, right? And I would let clients that were supposed to leave, like Khalil, like stay an extra month. And I would kind of hide it in the budgets and stuff. And he found out about it. And he came into my office. He goes, I know what you're doing for your friends. I know what you're fucking doing. I wish I could fucking strangle you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like sitting there, I go, wow. buddy, I... I don't think you can say that to an employee. I don't think you can say I'm going to strangle you. He goes, I didn't say I was going to strangle you. I said, I wished I, I could. could. Yep. <laughs> Smart. Smart man. But, but so, I, you know, so I, that was in 1999. And I just felt like I followed his tradition, not in the abuse thing, but in like, if you're working, you should get paid, man. That's all. Yep. Simple. Great. Easy. You know, and, and. You know, I just I just don't like that interns don't get paid. I really don't like it. So so one of the things that we could do for you is the, reach out. Like, there's a lot of students. Here's the thing that I also know about the successful millennials. There are a lot of do-gooders and want to save the world, right? And so all you have to do is go to the go and find them, and they'll they'll kind of work with you. Right. Whether they're nursing students or psychology students or social worker students, 
you know, a lot of times treatment centers don't want to have 21-year-old social working students at their rehab, but they maybe they can communicate with the kids. I, I've emphasized, like, people the same age, like, at, at Allo, most of the staff is about the same age as the clients, and it's been very effective, right? You would think it wouldn't work, but it kind of does, right? And then the management or the clinical teams are older and, and kind of more, you know, more mature or whatever. But the techs and the, and, the, and the people that do the driving and the operations people, they're already really young and vibrant, kind of excited for sobriety people. And it really does help, right? You, you know, that you guys have a lot of young people working at your place? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the house techs, the floor techs, the drivers are all... 20-something. Yes. Right. Absolutely. I got some old hardcore NA dudes that I like too, though. You gotta have like two or three of those guys around, right? I think I think I am that. <laughs> Are you that? <laughs> I'm yeah, totally, I'm totally hardcore. <laughs> I think, I, I it's think a, I'm the old like hardcore. Yeah, that's like my token job where N, I work. It's, NA dude. Know. NA dude yeah. though. Maybe not the NA dude, but just the old like the the. The police, maybe mm -hmm. the hard ass. Yeah, but I like it. I so it's all see. What was weird when we developed this team idea? Drew kind of taught me about it, right? So I was the I was the good cop, the relatable cop, whatever. He was the he was the good cop, and then we, he has a he has a doctor partner, Doctor Blum, who was the bad cop, and he was the bad cop even to me, right? <laughs> right? And. And so, the, Kevin, you're the good cop, and Patrick, you're the bad cop. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. The, so good cop, it bad works. cop. Yeah. And, and what's funny is you can tell a lot about a client of which one they gravitate towards, right? It's not like all the clients only like the good cop. Some think I'm a pussy and don't like me and think, think I'm ballless, and I've heard everything in the world about myself, and I'm like, uh, all okay. All true. All true. All true. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, how they do it is <laughs> you, don't, you don't seem to really care about anything. And I'm yeah. like, that's fucking true. I can tell you that. <laughs> so, so they like rules. They're people that like rules and like stability and like to be told what to do. And, and so that would be you. <laughs> no, but we want to go to sep in September. We're going to do this thing. I'll it's come September out there, 7th, play a concert. Yeah. Mike March got to come play guitar. Yeah. Right? Yes. We're September 7th and 8th. September 7th and 8th. Let's do it. It's going to be a big event. Don't die. You're come? Play guitar. It's, you guys are I having a don't die it. like festival or something. What the yes. fuck? Yeah, How you're not having Listen. one. <laughs> My God! Oh, the guy that's saying we do more than them. Oh, what do you mean right. now? Now they got a fucking <laughs> festival. Listen, dude, we got to go there and play. Mike, so it's a two-day event. You guys it's are trying to make us look bad on purpose. <laughs> that's not hard. <laughs> not hard. <laughs> Hold on a second. To ARCW, which is our needle exchange. <laughs> yeah. So that sounds great. That sounds and great. then uh, the second day is going to be the concert. We're going to have a punk show, and then we're going to have uh, another uh, show next door. And Chuck's then we'll a punker, so me and Mike will be punk by virtue of being friends with Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> it's true. So I'm trying. I'm trying to get some other bands lined up, but I have uh, a friend, Liv, who knows you because yeah. she pushed you down. In 1980, I don't I got, know when you were touring is this with the be a thing when I, I got beat up by a girl. 
Exactly. Yeah, it sounds no. like that's I, where I, this is going. Mike saw me beaten up by many girls. Oh, in the, my God. <laughs> she was trying to get drugs, and you were in her way, and she said, get the fuck out of my way, you orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> So she knew him. So she knew me. She feels so remorseful now. She wants to make an amends. Oh no, never. That's that's part of the old days. I got I got beat up so (laughs) many times. My, you know, I don't know if you know a lot about the Lonely Monster, but most of the band hated me. So I would get beat up constantly, and they would not assist in any way. Well, right. no, that that's not true because there was a time in Arizona when we oh, all got arrested was, that for was true. riot so one inciting time, a riot where Pete jumped over the top of his drum. Pete almost his, killed somebody. For you? Tom-tom. I don't think it was for me, though. Lord, I, I think, think he was, was just you. pissed off no, anyway. No, he didn't like it that they, you know, we, we, we stood up for each other. You're, you're exaggerating. Not at, not. But as, when we fought each other. That was the horrible. easiest way to beat up Bob was to knock his glasses right <laughs> off of his face first, what? and then he couldn't see. So Wait, he he's like punch him. He's like Velma. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Velma on Scooby Doo. Yeah, you just knock him, like, kick him in the butt, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and that. But we did have one punk rock riot, even though we weren't a punk rock band. We were playing in Arizona. And somehow some guys were heckling me, and I just heckled them back, and then I jumped in the audience and went after them, right? And they almost, they got the better of me. We for almost sure. didn't survive. And then and then it turned into this huge fight inside the club. And, we and Pete all got took arrested. his took his drum and hit this kid over the head and just <laughs> knocked the shit out of him. And he was in an ambulance. And then it broke out into the street and there was a riot in the street, right? And this is the best part. So I get just kind of thumped on for a couple minutes, which I was really used to by these two kids in the in the pit, right? So then I'm backstage. And the riot's going on, and the riot police are outside, and you can see the cop cars, and everybody's like, it's crazy. And so then I had to go pee, right? And there was cops in the dressing room hallway, and I got up to go pee, and this woman cop started to follow me, and said, where are you going? And I said, I'm just going to pee. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay. There's no one in here. I thought she was protecting me <laughs> against who was trying to assault she me. She was looking for they the guy waiting, that started the riot. They were waiting to charge me and arrest me. So then they charged me for inciting a riot. I was in jail. Uh, did you guys wait or did you just go on to the next town? No, no, we waited for you. We, okay. got, we got you out of jail. Yeah, I got out the, of jail. The weirdest the dynamic about Thelonious Monster to tell you guys is that in the audience there would be these big, you know, like jock guys that were like Chili Peppers fans. Yeah, right? they were. And here they are. And like they really Bob didn't like us song, very much. Bob's like singing this song yeah. like My Boy and all that stuff. And they're just all <laughs> digging it. You know, they're like these big kind of thugs, you know, and everything like that. So they're the ones that started fighting, you know, these big kind of like Arizona. Boy. They're frat boys. Frat boys. Yeah. 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 You know that. We had that element, though. But that's that's what I heard was going down on that that beach thing on Saturday. I had a friend there who said, you know, there were just a bunch of uh, people that were looking for problems, not people that were there for music. So they had to leave. Well, douchebag frat boys are. are what is it about the universities that breeds that? Uh, frat well, I think boy it's I think it's that they don't know how to drink oh, and then sports, they start yeah. drinking. What? No, it's not sports. It's sports. Fuck you. All sports. These punk rockers don't sports, like sports. Sports it's and crazy. Rap. No, it's it's rap. Rap boys. no, it's rap boys. No, rap and sports. Frat boys don't know how to drink. They're actually mama. <laughs> they're actually mama's boys who have never drank, and now they're in college and they take to to binge drinking. Is that? 
I mean, that's been always my thing. They just don't know how to drink and they get all loud and stupid. And, you know, people like us have been drinking since we're 13. We know how to drink. But but if you don't start drinking until you get to college when you're 19, you're like, you're like you know. You get all still, dumb. You get all dumb. And, and then rapey. you want to fight, right? Yeah. And that's so, where heroin was actually good, you know. Heroin <laughs> was good. <laughs> you know, I, at the beginning, you guys said about the friend of yours that start to fuck heroin. I don't know about fuck heroin. I, I say fuck fentanyl. I don't know about fuck heroin. <laughs> Heroin's almost, you know, it's almost like an artesian I can lost say, art. I something. can say with a clear conscience, fuck fentanyl, right? Yeah, but, but fuck heroin. That, there's a little part of me that's just like, Bob, that's not right. That's not right. <laughs> but I get where she's, I get where she's coming from. Yeah, right? yeah. Said the yeah. homeless guy scoring crack in 1986. I, Bob crack is one of the greatest drugs. I don't know why it's not popular anymore. It's, it's one of the greatest drugs. Did you guys hey, not well, like crack? It, it is. It is back. It's it's coming back. Is oh, it's coming. Bring, it's back. bring back the crack. Hey, I bring mean, back the crack. Heroin had its day, but but crack crack's coming back. Amen. You know, I, I so brought me to my I knees. I, mean, I don't know about there, but I mean, here crack never went away. Oh, really? No, oh, maybe it's a Midwest really? thing. It went, I mean, it went away big here, and the, and so so here's an interesting thing. Like we had been already freebasing, like cooking up our own coke or whatever. Right. But we heard about this crack, and we didn't really know where. Like people in Hollywood, we didn't really know where to get it. And so me and Flea and Anthony went to the New Music Seminar in 1983. I remember in New York City, and we we're walking through Washington Square Park, the one with the with the don't with the with the bri the gate. What is that one? The I don't know nothing about by NYU. New York. And so this guy asked if we want to buy crack, and we were like, fuck yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Give me some and of so that. we went to a head shop and bought uh, a pipe that had I Heart New York on it, and then we smoked crack for the first time. I remember the feeling of it was not like smoking freebase Coke. Like, this is, this is something different. And then that immediate thing of like, there's not much left, we're going to need more of this. That, that was the first, because <clears throat> when you cook up a, like a half gram of three base, you got enough Coke to go for a couple hours. No matter how much crack you got, you got, you got to go back and get more. <laughs> right? nah. That's the trick. <laughs> have, have you ever heard the story about the time I turned Martine on to crack? And he, he got your... No, I didn't give him enough. I just gave him enough to get him like, you know. To go buy some? Yeah. To get, oh, <laughs> what a dick. That is such a dick move. Yeah, it is. That's like, like a binge bag. Get somebody yep. to get half a hit. Yeah, here's so, some. Here, somebody, try this. What he's saying is Martin was in a successful band still, and we weren't. And so Mike then gave him a little hit of crack so he would want more and then give Mike $100 to go I get more. That much. is one of I the worst junkie moves ever. Mike, I didn't feel very much. Maybe we should get some more. <laughs> Oh my gosh, do you have any money, Martine? Is Martine a mispronunciation of Martin or is it a different name altogether? No, it's Martine. That's Martine, it's, it's Dutch. He's from Holland. Oh, isn't that weird? The Dutch, Dutch. But, um, but we're going to be there person, in September. Very, we're going to play. Person. I guarantee you we'll play and we can play fast. Chuck can still play fast. I can so, sing two songs in a you row. You know what? Hey, you guys. Maybe what we'll do is is we'll um, is we'll send, I'll send some songs out to you. You can get like a guy that plays drums. You guys know musicians, right? Bass player and a drummer. A bass player and a drummer to learn like four songs. Yeah, or ten we guys, whoever. I don't care. 
And then uh, some of them are easy. I'll play guitar and Bob will sing and Chuck will, you know. Yeah. yeah. We'll, do we'll it. have an instant band like Chuck Berry does. And you can call it whatever you want. You can call it the Thelonious Monster Bicycle Thief. You can call it whatever you want. That'll we'll get people to songs. come down some there. Some of the simple, like, uh, <laughs> Thelonious Monster songs. Bicycle Monster, Thelonious Bicycle Thief. Monster. The Bicycle Monster. That's a good bicycle one. Bicycle Monster. You know, Chuck Berry got an open, got a Patrick's baby. Bicycle Monster. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> now it's Patrick. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll come out there and play, the and we're Patrick gonna have fun. Patrick Bicycle and, Monster O'Neill Band, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, and 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 whatever you need from us, you know, we're socially social media retarded. You can see that, but I mean, we <laughs> I do, don't think we, we can do, say that. We do know people that know social media. We just. I'll just say, I'll, I'll just I'll tell Mike what to put on your page. <laughs> we're here. We're, we heard it's something out there called. If you could send files of what you'd like to be put on the pages. Yeah. Can you send us a floppy disk? In the mail. Because in the shit, the interweb and the way the the, the satellites and the... We need a zip fucked. drive. Do we have a zip drive? I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I shared it all out on AOL. I still have an AOL, AOL account. AOL doesn't even work anymore. Yes, it does. <laughs> It does. Yeah. It's only you two that are on AOL. It's all over MySpace too. <laughs> he, he's right about that. It's on the MySpace. We're on AOL and MySpace, you guys. So no wonder you can't find us. You know what? Someday they're going to be fifty. <laughs> Those are coming back. Someday they're going to be fifty. Yeah, and they'll understand. But I don't think the world's going to change as much as it changed in our us fifty-year-olds' lifetime. I mean, you're talking about in the prime of Thelonious Monster, there wasn't even cell phones. You know what I right. mean? We used to, I remember I used to get, I used to call my girlfriend, collect from hotel phones and get like $540 cell phone or home phone bills. And then I'd have to get the band to pay for it. Then Pete would beat me up. It was just a constant beating up. <laughs> oh, like, God. what the fuck? And so we'd make this money and they're like, oh, we had to pay Bob's home phone bill. You know, and 500 bucks in 1988 was a lot of money. We had to get Mike's stuff out of pawn. Yeah, we had to get Mike's stuff out of pawn. We need to talk to Pete. I want to hear Pete's side of things. I saw him last night. He was at the memorial that Mike Mark did. Was Mike there? Oh, wait. No, he well, wasn't. No, Mike wasn't there. He had to work. Fuckers. Yeah, One had, of our dearest friends he passed. Had to, he had to work Mike at 6 o'clock at night. <laughs> Lots of concerts at 6 o'clock at night. Yeah, there's a lot Was it concert. an early bird concert? <laughs> Was it Happy Hour with Billy Joel? What was it? Dude, I was there from 2 o'clock until almost 2 in the morning. That's it. You've been here from 5 o'clock just to set up two computers and an iPhone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You try this fucking shit. God, what a fucking ingrate. I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not. Come on. Mike Mart. I'm sorry. Come on, Mike Uh, Mart. All right. I accept (laughs) All right, we'll see you guys in September, but thanks a lot for carrying the message out there. Keep talking to the kids. Definitely. And then one last thing. Like, yeah. We appreciate your kudos, but like, what we're doing isn't that hard. I heard <laughs> that like some guy in New York is yeah, started Syracuse a- wants to do it, yeah. Awesome. What I would say is like, anybody listening, like, this isn't hard. Like, <laughs> like, we, we've gotten a huge following in our community. We don't really do all that much. It's not hard to do. You just hang out with two silver buddies, get on microphone and talk about things you care about. You put it out on Facebook and people want to help. They'll right. spread for you. The radio stations in your local community will help you throw on a rock show. That's like so awesome. Honestly, it is not hard work and you can totally do it in Ohio 
and Kentucky. Where's our festival? Well, you know, <laughs> I think that's a big difference between where you are and L.A. L.A. is complicated. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little different. It's a little more um, show busy, and there's not, there's not money to be made here, so it's a little bit different. I love the fact that that's happening there, and I love the fact that you guys are doing it. And I love the fact that there are people probably getting into treatment or going to meetings or at least putting down the dope because of what you guys are doing. Because, it, I mean, at the end of the day, that's, I hope people say that, you know, you know, guys, you know, I, I like what um, Bob was doing before we started hanging out, you know, and he helped my, uh, my middle son who's doing, he's doing all right right now. It'd be, it'd be a totally different world without Bob in it, and I hope I can be that person to someone else. And I know you guys are being that people to other... You're being those people to other people, you know, and the people... Lately, it's been a whole lot of be who you needed when you were new in sobriety. Right. You know, Hold on. And, let me fly in the violins. Hold on. Suck it. But... Well, isn't it... I mean, I think the other thing, too, is that what, what we've had a lot of success with is, like, talking to people in recovery, and it's like one of you said it before, like help the willing and be cool to the unwilling, right? Yes. Because the only reason I'm sober right now is because there was a couple dudes that were cool to me the fifth time I walked into a meeting, right? Like, right. The idea, like it just hit me. Once you own a treatment center, things change. So you're always seeing like help as helping yourself. And I made a conscious decision four years ago to not do that to properly assess, to not care. And, and if you find me, it's hard to get into my rehab. It's easy if you go on the internet and go into my rehab. But if you really find me, I'm going to try. I got one guy living at home right now. I got another, <gasps> another gal that's only an outpatient. I got two, fr- two guys in Pasadena Recovery Center because they have not that good of insurance. And then another friend of mine, with the girl had no insurance and was going to pay cash. So it really is for owner operators and your mom and pop people. It's so refreshing to get back to the basics of what's important, which is helping the person in front of you and not seeing them for their insurance card or an ability to make your payroll or whatever. And I just consciously made a decision to just see people and put them where they should be. And lucky I have partners that are cool with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But but it really is refreshing and it wakens you back up to why you do this anyways, right? Which I know as a counselor is hard because, you know, I'm, I'm the owner. So when I hear that one of my counselors put a well-insured person in another treatment center, I'm like, what the fuck, dude? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm t- I try to be totally honest about who I am. I'm not a saint. But I had to look at that like, dude, he can put people in wherever he wants to. Just because he works here doesn't mean this is the best place for him. And, and I know that's hard for a lot of owner operators to believe. Be, you know, and I, I, I just I feel like my treatment center works best for grown adults who, who are high functioning people who can comprehend what's going on. It's it it can be good for young millennials, but more like a seed planting. It's not like going to solve their problems. And then I, we're trying to create a program in Long Beach, Mike, of all places, that is trying to solve their problems. The, here's the problem we have in California about that. They know they can go to the fancy rehab down the street 
they can leave kind of a more direct approach like dude what do you fucking think you're homeless without your mommy taking care of you if you say that to a kid with good insurance they're just gonna leave and go to the the fancy <coughs> place that kisses their ass down the street right. so we have to like think about how are we going to help these different populations and so i just right. properly assess and usually it's based on economics age experience in sobriety right a lot of my friends nowadays are relapsing after a gal friend of mine who had 11 years just you know oxycontin and pills and then heroin and whatever and i was just like fuck man how many more times am i going to hear this about my brothers and sisters you know what i mean how how did this happen to so many of our our people that we've been sober the same amount of time or sober for years end up back on dope that's that's something i want to focus on too you know what I mean? You guys are experiencing that in Milwaukee, I imagine. And all yeah. it would take is us stand up and go, you know what? Fuck doctors. Fuck them. Fuck them. They'll fucking kill you. You know, I, I'm willing to say that. Doctors are killing people. When you Some. go into a doctor and say, I'm sober, I can't take anything, and they go, oh, no, no, that's all right. It's just Xanax. You know what oh, I mean? Okay. Doctors are no. killing people. They're you're not. Talking about, you're talking about scumbags. Yes. Fuck I'm scumbags. talking about a lot of doctors, dude. It's not right. just a few bad ones. They no. really don't respect what sobriety means anymore. I know that in 1990 and 92 and 94, when I was trying to hustle them for drugs, they did care. And they said, no fucking way. Get your junkie ass out of my yeah, office. Yeah, that's true. And now they'll just give people, when they say, I'm sober and Alcoholics Anonymous for 11 years, they'll say, oh, yeah, no, that's great. Totally. But, but you have anxiety. I want you to take this Xanax, right? Now, that's on the junkie who takes the Xanax primarily. But I think we as a community need to rise up and say, you know what? You cannot trust doctors. Get it out of your mind that doctors are looking out for your best interest. Alcoholics Anonymous does. You do. We do. Not the medical profession, right? That's, that's one thing I, I really think we can be more outspoken about. Like back, it seemed like back in our day, there was a few guys that could totally manipulate the doctors and were smart enough to do like, you know, forgeries and do all this stuff. But it was like a science, you know? I mean, you had to be really fucking good to get it over on the, on the pharmacist from the doctor to the pharmacy. Yeah, the medical everything. world like, the medical It was so hard changed. that guys like me and you, Bob, we just went and got it off the street. And I don't think we're going to get the doctors to wise up, but we can get our brothers and sisters who are sober to get it out in the open. Like, don't come back to me and tell me some fucking doctor, you know, got you hooked. Bull fucking shit. We've talked about this. Do not trust doctors, Right. And that's the old NA I went to in the 80s and 90s. And it's, it's got to be brought back. People got in your face. It wasn't all politically correct. You know what I mean? There's an old dude, right. Bill, that's still there at this meeting in the Valley. And he'll, if he doesn't hear a bunch of good kind of concrete, what he thinks is, is the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, he'll say, I'm going to share burning desire because I, I need to hear this. I know I didn't hear it today. I'm an alcoholic and we're left to my own devices. I will drink myself to death. And I come here to keep myself from killing myself with alcohol. Thank you for letting me share. Because so many people get into psychobabble, right? He's just run and he's like 46 years sober. That's right. <laughs> right? What? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right? 
So let's leave it with that. I come here because I'll kill myself with heroin if I don't. All right. Peace Thank out. You Thank you, guys. Thank you guys for staying hey, up man. so late. We'll be there. That was great right. seeing your Thank faces you. and getting this all together and everything, you guys. Really fabulous, man. I'm looking forward to meeting let's you. Let's give Mike a round of applause for setting Yay, this whole Mike thing Mark. up. Woo! All right. All right, Mike later, Mark. <laughs> Mike, are you pissed? <laughs> <laughs> Good night, guys. Thank you for staying up so late. That's ridiculous.